0: everybody, Pat Nemers here, lead pastor at Saterville Church, and I have our evangelism and outreach director, John Nemers, happens to be my son, so it's kind of fun to be able to do this, especially because we're looking at the subject of evangelism, or uh, soul winning, uh, the gospel, the great commission, how important is that uh, to a church, to an individual, and we're kind of going off a little bit about uh, from our study of 1 Thessalonians. Um, John, you preached this passage here. On mm-hmm. last uh, Sunday, begin, the last few verses of uh, the first chapter, which describes, uh, Paul is describing his experience that he's getting from other people. They're, they're, he's, getting, he's getting feedback. He's getting that thunderclap coming back to him as to how the Thessalonians, are, their lives have been changed. In fact, here's what the scripture says. He says, "For uh, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, and that would be the, the Grecian peninsula. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. I think you—I think that you say that was one of your favorite lines in there.
1: No, that was the favorite.
0: For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we thought... For this podcast, uh, we would we would just talk about outreach. This this particular church uh, uh, obviously had a powerful testimony. It was impacting. It was going everywhere. You made a big deal. In fact, this was going everywhere. Yeah. The Ignatian Highway, Roman Highway, was right there along the uh, the coast.
1: It wasn't in the day of social media either. It's yeah, it's yeah. uh, big land masses going gospel going out in a place that's actually hard to get the gospel out. Yep, and you also pointed out that they, they did this in spite of affliction that was going on,
0: persecution that was occurring, and they still had joy. Uh, I can remember when I first became a Christian back in the early 80s, I came from a, a, a very loving home, uh, a ritualistic kind of a home, uh, a generally Christian home, but not uh, the gospel, really wasn't preached there. And uh, so I lost a lot of friends when I first got saved. In fact, they just wrote me off. I was just telling a friend today about uh, the experiences I had in sharing the gospel and how little by little I found myself very in a very lonely place. I was picking up some new Christian friends,
1: but they were new yeah. Christian friends. A lot of my old ones were bugging out. Did you have any of those experiences? Well, I'll tell you about the first time I experienced it without experiencing it myself. Uh, it was actually... A really vital time in my testimony when my brother Daniel uh, immediately older than me he got he didn't get saved he was already saved but God kind of got a hold of his heart in high school he was running around doing the same things I was and I remember he specifically came up I think we were, we we're doing some we we're doing drugs and he came up to us and we were kind of hanging out and i kind of like handed it or gestured it to him and he said look i'm, I'm done doing that and i'd actually heard that before i think i mocked him at that moment and i was like yeah sure whatever we'll, i'll see you again next week essentially but to his credit he didn't and god was clearly changing his life and as a result in a loving way he did start to say to our friends hey, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I have to distance myself in a loving way. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't brutal or mean or anything like that. And so they, I, I got kind of the behind the scenes view of that. I, I, I kind of jokingly say Daniel would have gotten rid of me too, but I was just his brother. So he's kind of stuck with me in that way. He couldn't get rid of me. Yeah. Um, but... He he really, he only hung out with my siblings who were, so like my sister Hannah and my sister Elizabeth, uh, he would spend a lot of time with them really doing nothing. And from my perspective, this is where I was saying I thought I was going to find you know, my satisfaction, my, my pleasure in the world. And that's where I thought that satisfaction came from. And Daniel gave all of that up. And uh, as a result, I thought he was going to be miserable, but the exact opposite was true. And I'm sure that was true for you too. In the midst of your suffering, you've probably found a lot of enjoyment, a joy, because that joy came from God. And I think the same is true for the Thessalonians, that yeah, they're suffering, but man, it was their joy to serve. It was their joy to get out there and reach others. And I think that's exactly what happened with Daniel, with you, and then with me, That's an interesting question. I have to think about that a little bit more because generally speaking, I did lose all of my friends but not in a vindictive way like they're mad at me. No, because I've seen it just in a couple of
0: years, you circle back no. and you reconnect with them. And in fact, you were just with a few of them here today, no. or you're going to be with them. I oh, I just got back okay. just minutes ago. So it's been fun to see you reconnect. And I too have reconnected with many of my friends of my youth. And uh, they know where my position is. And it's just, it's a different thing now. Still trying to reach them. No. But let me go back to that, because as you were sharing that, I remember uh, I was, um, I, I went to, a, I had a really, his name, his name was Rob, good friend of mine. We, we smoked a lot of weed together and, uh, you know, did a lot of Coke and stuff like that back in the day. So when I, he was one of the first, I went to all my friends and shared Christ with them, not in the matter of a couple of weeks, but I'll bet within a month, I'd, I'd covered them all. And I was with Rod and his wife and I was sharing the, The gospel with them, and this was this really made me nervous. As I'm sharing the gospel, his wife Tracy was packing a bowl of marijuana (laughs) while while I'm talking about Jesus, and it was just kind of making me feel awkward. I'm thinking, are you even listening to me? And I got done and. And I said, "So what, what do you think?" And Tracy goes, "Yeah, yeah, that was really good." And she fires it up. Out of the moment. She goes, she goes, "Okay, well, let's talk, Pat." <laughs> and it was like, so I took the bowl from her, and in that moment, I said, "So what would this be like, Tracy, if I went and I faked like I was taking a hit off?" I go, "If I went, let me tell you what <laughs> what Jesus has done for me." And of course, they just broke out laughing too because they saw the joke in mm-hmm. it all. And uh, you know. It didn't go much further than that with them i kind of that was one of those friendships i lost yeah but every time i shared christ i had this sense of and whether i did it right whether i did it wrong whether i did it with good finesse or not i felt like this is what god's called me to do mm. and um, and i felt that joy even though sometimes there was rejection
1: yeah. with it that's i mean that's really interesting because i think that you know as we're talking about evangelism and outreach and whatnot. really good ways to kind of do that i think that's you kind of hit on a really important concept which is you can't you can't live that double life like even if you have a passion so many people have passion for lost people they're genuinely saved they're believers but they have uh yours was drugs and mine was similar so i did have a passion for my friends after i got saved you you were around i got saved and I was clearly changing. I mean, things were changing in my life. At that time, I was dating a Muslim. You remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> Our family was kind of like, wow, John, you're saved. Something's going on. And now you're dating a Muslim. like, what's going on here? Uh, either way, so I was actually trying to do that kind of a, an evangelism where I was naturally bringing up God in conversation, yet I was still smoking weed. I was still drinking and whatnot with my friends for a solid year after, my, after I got saved. And I didn't see any fruit. Now, most people, they, they get the hypocritical nature of that, but I don't think most Christians see like they're you know, a gossip and they think that I can still be a gossip at work and then just like flip the switch all of a sudden and just talk about Jesus. People see past that. Would you agree? Or Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and uh, you know, mine was a little different. I didn't go quite that long. In fact, a lot of radical things started happening because our, you were raised in a Christian home. I wasn't. So by the time I embraced the gospel, uh, I knew all the ramifications. I knew it was going to change my life. I mean, I just knew it would, even though I can even remember for the week or two that I smoked weed before I quit. After I got saved, I just felt this, this is wrong. And in fact, you've heard the story after becoming a Christian, uh, about a week after becoming a Christian, I got caught smoking weed at John Deere and I'd been smoking weed at John Deere for four years at every break, never came close. Not even not even close to getting caught in four years. But now I was a child of God. I can remember getting caught by one of the foremen. He could have fired me. He yeah. didn't. Inexplicably, he didn't. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 6, the whom the Lord loves he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. And I remember that was the verse that brought the Lord brought to my mind. And it really, and I was just a brand new Christian, but I can remember going back to my job at deer thinking, I mean, going back on to the clock after getting caught and not getting fired. And thinking, it's like God was saying, "Who, who do you think? You're mine now. Mm. You don't, you don't get to, uh, you don't get to orchestrate your own life now. You, yeah. I'm going to guide your life." And it was just a few days later. I was reading in First Corinthians six nineteen that my body was now the temple of the Holy Spirit. who was in me. I was not my own. I've been bought with a price, so I was to glorify God in my body. So that was the, that was the day that I, I gave up the, you know, the weed and all that. And I always like to tell people I'm not sinless, but I do sin less, yeah. at least less than I did back then, anyway. <laughs> but kind of circling back to this whole business, in this, God showed me very early on I could impact people. And, I, and, I, and some people were coming to know Jesus as their Savior as a result of me sharing Christ with them. And then there's that whole business. Some of us have a gift, and some of us are more gifted toward it, some of us are not as gifted. What would you say to somebody who would say, well, I know that telling people about Jesus is important. But I just I'm not gifted at yeah. what would you say to them?
1: I mean, the obvious answer is that it doesn't necessarily matter that you're not gifted or not. You are commanded. You know, it's one of the few gifts that's also a command. Um, well, let's look at that real quick, because I'm just going to really quickly read it. It's the end of that. It's
0: the famous uh, Great Commission uh, Matthew's gospel ends with it, So the disciples are gathered together, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all mm-hmm. nations, there's the command, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them whatever I've commanded you, and I'm with you always uh, to the end of the age. So there's that command, virtually every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John has some form of the great commission mm-hmm. whereby we are to
1: reproduce ourselves. We're to, yeah. we're to make disciples. A disciple would be a follower yeah. of, of Jesus. I was going to say, it's interesting in the context of what was just preached and what we're going to continue to preach on with end times and, you know, looking for the times to come, watching for the return of Christ. My mind is going blank on the specific chapter in First or Second Timothy, um, but where Paul tells Timothy to uh, do the work of evangelists, yep, yep. what's the context of that chapter or that of that passage? You know, do you remember the church? The church, and, yes. and he even uses that as a motivation to look for the return of Christ. So you have this. Here's here's Timothy, who we we take this verse. Well, do you have it in front of you? you might as well read it if you have it. I'd say I think it's a, it's the fourth chapter in the
0: second in Second Timothy where he says. Um, Uh, Okay, yeah. He says, uh, and uh, there's going to come a time when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have uh, itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in the midst. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work
1: of an evangelist and fulfill your
0: ministry. Yeah.
1: And so he's telling Timothy, we kind of take that to mean it probably did not come naturally for Timothy to be an evangelist. And even for me, like, I'm still trying to figure that out in my own life. Like, I'm not one to say, like, I feel like everybody, especially at Cedarville, we're like, yeah, Pat, Chuck, Lori, Dashner. Those are like the three of the obvious gifted people. And there are many others, I'm sure. But even for me, it's like I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, am Mm. I actually gifted? I have a passion for it, I have a zeal for it. Um, But I I do take heart in something like this where it's like, no, it it is a commandment. And Paul tells us, do the work of an evangelist. Did you just call me Pat? Well, what am I supposed to call you? (laughs) Anyway, the Pope, uh, as we call you around here. I think Dad will work with you. But uh, so.
0: Let's just be clear. The Bible makes it clear that if we know Christ is our Savior, individually we should be, there should be a desire in us to be able to, to tell others about Jesus. I think that desire is stoked in our walk with God and doing all the elementals of the Christian life, spending time with God, praying, worshiping, being in church, serving the Lord. And I think in that, as you do that, you'll understand where you're gifted. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, but, uh, be it administration or mercy, be it be it as a teacher, uh, but as you've pointed out, this is to be Sorry. a uh, this is this is an act of obedience. Paul told Timothy, do the do the work of an evangelist and thus fulfill uh, your ministry. So I think it's important that we realize that there is a command, yeah. there is an obedient aspect to it. And you just mentioned Sailorville Church. I mean, we are. We're known as the Evangelistic Church. I, there's a young man that you know, you know this individual. Uh, he was uh, on staff as an intern for a while. Uh, he's now, um, uh, he just preached in a church. And uh, they're looking at him as a possible, possible pastor. You know, and uh, so they know where he came from. And this is a church quite a ways away. But he just told me the other day, oh, man, they're talking about That Boy, that's a church that reaches people for Jesus. You're, you're big on the gospel. So yeah. our reputation is getting out there, okay? Yeah. Um, uh, so and that's very encouraging. But we don't want to sit back on our laurels. And we don't just want two or three people, special people who are really good at it, to just be the ones doing it. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that we do to encourage people to, to share the gospel with
1: others? Well, I think it comes from the pulpit. I think that the natural reason, I mean, it's its kind of a cliche saying, but a true saying that the church kind of takes the DNA of the pastor, of the lead guy. And so I feel like naturally we've kind of taken your DNA and ran with it. And this is how we see the church running essentially is yeah, you have to have a heart for loss. you have to have, even if you're not a gifted person. So I think first and foremost it comes, you know from you mm-hmm. on Sunday morning and that trickle-down effect happens. Um, but I think it's I think I mean, besides the you know, the certain aspects where I like to call them, you know, lines in the water that we have, we are we're always trying to encourage people and, uh, bring people along and I try and I'm trying to do more and more to bring people along with me to Bible studies and um, and just to get that perspective, you know whether it's a you know an atheist or a Catholic or someone who's just trying to wrap their mind around what does a what does a gospel conversation actually look like because I think that a lot of people that's their biggest misconception. It's like they think of evangelism as, as just a, you, you, you have to start at cold turkey, and you have to present the whole gospel in one conversation. Mm-hmm. And me personally, I haven't been doing this for very long, and you might have, I'm trying to think, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, you may have a story or two, but I have never led anyone to Christ like that.
0: The very first time. The very met. first time. I've led many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure they're all real. <laughs> So, but there was that, I mean, that that philosophy was more uh, in the day when I first came to Christ where you just give him the whole enchilada. You know, God does use that and uh, he uses uh, stump preachers, he uses soapbox preachers and this and that and use, and if you are a soul winner, if God has gifted you in this area, he could use you in that way as he has used me. But I'm more with you now. I've more embraced uh, the evangelism culture of, of befriending individuals, getting to know them. Uh, developing a genuineness between them with a relationship, yeah. walking through Scripture, and then you're developing relationships at the same time as leading people to Christ, which is a yeah. it's a win-win. I was gonna say one other thing, John, is that is um, is if you're a new Christian, uh, you are in a you're in a window of time right now that isn't gonna last forever. Okay. Uh, I still refer when I give my testimony, I share my story when God changed me. Well, He changed me 38 years ago. Uh, you know, that's you know, as John would say, that's when dinosaurs uh, roamed the <laughs> land. You know, but it was still change. Uh, our our uh, our videographer in our church, uh, who's videoing this as we speak, his mom and dad were there. They saw the changes take place in my life, and they were one of those. They were part of that first generation. Went, wow, look at the gospel It's done to Pat Emmers. Well, the generation today like you you grew up knowing me you didn't grow up knowing the pothead that i was uh so um my testimony is still effective the gospel is still there uh the passion needs to be there the obedience needs to be there but if you're a newer christian that there's a window of time and john i think you can relate to this i mean where you can really be effective because you've got friends that are seeing that contrast they're saying whoa what Where's the old John you know yeah. where's that guy we party with? You should take advantage of that window. In fact, um, uh, as you know, I work with a, about five six couples uh, regularly yeah. and they're all newer Christians and uh, they're all they have different lots of life. There's scientists and in fact you were involved in seeing those people come to Christ. there's, there's, a, there's a doctor, there's a dentist a, there's a heating cooling dude. These guys are all social worker. Uh, So they have all kinds of of, uh, experiences in life, but they're all excited about the Lord. Mm -hmm. And about half of them are still actively involved inviting their friends to come to church, to hear the gospel, to come into, you know, it's natural for their friends. Their friends are coming to them, just like the Thessalonians, friends that were coming to Paul. Friends are coming to them saying, in fact, one gal in our group, our, our group right now, her testimony, which our church was gonna, is going to hear in about a month, is she was at a she was at a gymnasium and she saw another gal that came to Christ in our group, and she said, "Hey, I haven't seen you in church." She's going to one of these mainline, very popular churches, I might add, mm-hmm. but not a not a church that preaches the gospel. And this gal that came to Christ about a year earlier said, "I I don't go there because I came to Christ. I'm going to a church that preaches the gospel, preaches the word, that natural." Uh, you know, just interest was there. And uh, the next thing you knew, we were having a Bible study with them, with that group, and
1: uh, they came to Christ. Yeah, yeah, you really do. And I, I quickly mentioned it in my sermon. I didn't, like, make any points on it or anything like that. But I mentioned the uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 2 passage, the aroma passage of uh, how we are an aroma of Christ. We're either the aroma of death or of life to those who are being saved, yep. Paul says. Yep. And that, that plays out, I think across the board as you look at people's lives that, that that's the story you were just talking about it was an aroma it was a pleasing aroma to her um for your family it was a stench mm-hmm. right for for uh most of so I'm thinking of daniel when he got saved it was a stench to daniel most, is your brother my brother yeah. correct it was a stench to most of them when he got saved or when he got back with god but it was an aroma to one of them do you remember which one it was Mm-mm. It was Braden. Oh, yeah. So it was yeah, one yeah. of my Oh, buddies. yeah, 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 yeah. He so said, said that was really, cool. Yeah, I think it, what he's doing is cool. It intrigued him. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same was true for me as well. I had a couple of friends. Most of them were kind of just like, ah, that's cool, whatever. You're not doing drugs anymore. That's cool or whatever. But some of them were, they were intrigued. And, yeah, I think that's very true. And you have that short amount of time. I think you're right by looking at it like that.
0: Well, you know, I think of another scripture that says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and uh, that is the presence of God in our lives. And I would just say to all of you that are watching this podcast today that are would you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus? You're you're a born again Christian. Um, if that's true, you have you have this treasure within you. You have the Spirit of God living within you. You have the Word of God at your disposal, and you have just just contemplate this for a moment paul said <clears throat> he said in second or first tim first corinthians 9 he said um i become all things to all men that i might by all means save some mm-hmm. now every once in a while when somebody comes to jesus they'll say hey thanks for saving me yeah. <laughs> and i'll say hey i didn't save you <laughs> i'm just a messenger boy you know god say but i get it because yeah. that's they're, they're kind of connecting directly to you or in this case to me and uh and and that happened real recently by the way and uh but paul did say that by all means i might save Save some some. he did say that so here's what i would say to you if you're a follower of jesus imagine you are because of this treasure you have within you because of this treasure you have in your hands and the if your life is that aroma and not a stench what a powerful combination of things. And you, you have this amazing privilege, this amazing joy to be able to tell others about Jesus and have an impact on their lives and maybe be the very conduit by which they come to know Jesus as their savior. That's just just drink that in for a moment and at least pray about it. You may not be gifted. You, your gifts may be somewhere else, but in obedience, this could be, you could find, you could discover one of the the greatest things of all time.
1: And you may tap into the fact that you are gifted, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's the whole point of hey, you know, when we're when we're telling people to jump into the church and get involved, it's hey, just jump in somewhere and yeah. you'll figure out like, okay, I'm not really good with kids like I thought I was. Okay, well, so maybe that's not your gift. Maybe it's not hospitality. Maybe it is. And maybe it's maybe it's not evangelism and maybe it is. You really don't know until you actually yeah. get out there. I think I can't remember if you preach a sermon or I preach a sermon. It's somewhere in my head that we had a point or someone had a point that you don't know until you go, yeah. right? That whole idea. I think in Acts 17 where they just didn't know until they until they went out until you go out and you actually attempt to uh, you know talk to someone. And that's that's true. I always tell people that that people are more interested in talking about God than you might think, hmm. um, and I think. A great way to kind of break down that barrier especially in today's climate of like you can't talk about politics you can't talk about race you can't talk about religion you know those are three things that are just off the board right there Um, I always like to say especially if I'm talking to like a skeptic is hey this obviously from a Christian's perspective I think that talking about God and religion is obviously the most important question I think we both can agree because if God exists, that is going to have some huge repercussions on your life. But if he case, doesn't exist, we better quit wasting our time. Right. But I always say, but I also think if you're honest with yourself, this is one of the most fun conversations to have. Like it's the one of the most enjoyable conversations to have because everyone wants to talk about it, right? Everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to at least share an opinion. Well, there's a theological reason for that. Why don't you go there? It's in the Ecclesiastes
0: 3. Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, uh, where it says, uh, I think in he's, verse eleven, can you he, know, he he's put eternity in the in the human heart. Yeah, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yeah. and that's the reason why they're naturally, even though man is naturally darkened, he's alienated, he's hopeless, he's without God in this world. He is we we call the we call, it, we call it, he's depraved. That, that doesn't mean he's as bad as he can be. It just means he's dead he's dead to god he's dead yep. to, and yet god has put this consciousness of himself yep. within every individual that doesn't mean god lives in every individual because he doesn't but there's a consciousness of it yep. and eternity is he said eternity in the hearts of people people naturally believe in fact i would argue that atheism is completely contrary to human nature Uh, There are atheists out there, uh, you know, in abundance, but they are atheists in spite of the fact that they've had to resist
1: the natural sense that God does exist. And sometimes it's as simple as pointing that out to them. Like they've they've never thought about that before. They've Mm -hmm. never thought about the fact that their desire for eternity or their desire for A world where there is no injustice Mm. a world where there is no pain I mean that that gets people riled up why is there pain why is there well when you ask the question back to them why do you desire a world in which there is no pain Mm. why do you desire a world in which there is uh, complete justice well it's because you're aching and you're desiring for a world where that actually exists and that's what Lewis, of course, I got to bring up C.S. Lewis. Uh, that's, why, that's what he would say are clues to the meaning of the universe. And you get those all over the place. It's mm. like you get that by, by, by looking at a human. And some, some atheists just haven't thought about that. Mm. So it's important that,
0: it, from an evangelistic perspective, that you're not afraid to enter into some of these conversations. You got to know your Bible. There are a couple of things I would say as we sort of wrap things up. Uh, one would be you need to know your Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know your Bible. You should be reading your Bible. You should understand the gospel story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be f- familiar with the New Testament. And you and if you if you aren't, become familiar with it. Just read it. Start reading it. The other thing I would say is memorizing Scripture. Um, uh, basic passages of scripture, like John 3.16, like John 14.6, like Ephesians 2.8 and 9, like Titus uh, 3.5 and 6, and s- these passages that are very elemental in sharing the gospel so that you can have the word of God on your lips. And then, of course, nothing nothing beats just doing it. Actually, there, I-, I call it a satanic threshold. Uh, Paul talked about that. I wanted to come to you time and again, but Satan hindered me, cut in on me. I think there's satanic thresholds in in the area of, of evangelism. I think that. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to scare you away on this, but when you talk to people about Jesus, I mean, you're you're sort of inviting <laughs> spiritual warfare to take place. Mm-hmm. It it's true, uh, but God is greater than Satan and all of the enemies that we have out there. Greater he is he who is in you than he that's in the world. So you got to go on that. And then be obedient and be willing to speak the gospel, yeah. and then <laughs> realize when you do, God will give you the words. He'll yeah. give you the word to say, and you may even stumble all over the place the first time. I'm sure you stumbled. You've stumbled a few times. Boy. That to me, that just drove me back to the word to make sure I wasn't going to stumble over that one again. Yeah. And uh, then you just become deeper in uh, in, in the word. So. If you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian. Uh,
1: John, what does a person have to do to become a Christian? I, I like to boil it down. I've asked myself, how, how can I, in the simplest way, explain the gospel? And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is what I've been telling people at least. <laughs> so. Oh boy, i am holding my breath already. <laughs> I, because I do, I, I feel like I do have a lot of conversations with skeptics. And so they have a lot of barriers. And so I, I simply say... You have, to, you have to believe that there is a God and that this God is a moral, holy God in every respect of that word, which means he is good and he is just. He is a holy, moral God, and you personally are not. You've broken the standard of his morality. And so there is no way that you could ever have a, a relationship or be in the presence of his holiness. And so we have this moral conundrum And so the only way to reconcile that conundrum is through Jesus because every other religion tells you you have to work your way to God and then you can gain access into his presence that doesn't make theological sense it doesn't make logical sense you can't work your way back to perfection if you've if you've already broken if you've already become imperfect you have to have something supernatural you have to have something outside of nature Die for you, take that, take that punishment for you, and that is Jesus. That's who Jesus is. So you have to recognize who God is as holy and perfect. You have to recognize who you are as imperfect, and you, rec- you have to recognize that Jesus is the only one who actually does something about that. There was death on the cross, and Him taking on your imperfection, and then the rising from the dead, and Him giving your Him your are you His righteousness, mm-hmm. His perfection, and that's how you can gain eternal life. Yep. Yeah. Well put. Uh, here's a little here's a little um, synopsis
0: from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That's what we believe in. The gospel means good news. Uh, I preached to you. So it has to somebody has to declare this to you. That's why we're telling people. That's why we're telling you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to. You need to proclaim this to others. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to listen to what John just said and believe. God is holy, you're not. Christ is the bridge between the two. You believe in his death and resurrection. And here's what it says, I preach to you uh, which you receive. So you have to have somebody declare it. You have to receive it in which you stand. So this is the thing that saves you and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For And here's the gospel. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. I love that statement, John, because Paul is saying... All I'm telling you is what came to me. I had to to receive it too, okay? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So there it is. That's the good news. Christ died, was buried, rose again, believing what you just talked about, that God is holy, we're sinful, we need a savior. We can't work our way to God. God made his way to us yeah. through his son Jesus, died and rose again. We believe in him. We receive him because as many as received him, to them God gives the right to become the children of God. That's how you become a Christian. So um, I love the story. I'll just we'll just finish with it if I don't you don't mind. Of a lady that was at a supermarket one day. She was going through the line, and this guy was right behind her. And uh, you've heard me share this story in a message once, and he's, and the husband who just hated shopping, he didn't want to go shopping, so he just sat there on a, there's like a bench that was on the other side of the, you know, the aisle where they go through and the, the, the counter. And he's observing what's going on with his wife. There's a guy just talking with his wife and she's just totally transfixed on what he's saying. Back and forth they go as they go through the line. It's all, all of 10 minutes. It's, it's this one-shot presentation. <laughs> and uh, But he's, what in the world is this guy talking to my wife about? And they, but he was actually ahead of her in line. So he gets his groceries and he takes out and he walks, 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 watches the guy take off. And um, and then he says to his wife, who's got the groceries by now, she goes, I, I saw this guy talking. What, what in the world? You don't even know this guy. Who, who are you talking to? She goes, no, I not I didn't know him at all, but he, I sure enjoyed my conversation with him. And, and she go, he goes, well, what, what, what do you want to talk to you about? Well, he, he asked me if I had a relationship with, with God. And, uh, and her husband was livid. She goes, he doesn't even know you. That was none of his business. And the wife, remember what the wife said?
1: Yeah, you, you would have thought it was his business. Yeah,
0: she, she, <laughs> she goes, you know, if you'd have seen the look in his eyes... You'd have thought it was his business. May God use you that are followers of Jesus to make the gospel and reaching other people for Jesus your business because it is the business of God. Thanks for joining us.